Good morning. My name is Dee, and I am so glad to have the opportunity to dig into God's Word with you this morning. Um, I just want to make mention of how wonderful it is to be at a church where there are so many babies that are all around. It is fantastic. Um, I'm not sure I have the count exactly right, but I think in the nursery last week we had, was it 17? 18 babies in the nursery. Little gasp. Wow. It's wonderful. And I see them all around and was instructed to preach very quietly so I wouldn't wake any of them. So I'm going to try and not yell. I don't think I'm much of a yeller anyway. So I also heard that in the children's area last week, we had somewhere in the neighborhood of 110 to 115 kids. That, oh, wow, was right. Praise God. What a wonderful opportunity for those of you that were here and had a chance to either participate in or observe the Easter egg hunt. It is probably one of the highlights of church life here on an annual basis. My favorite are the little ones who have not yet developed a spirit of competition. Just walk around and pick an egg up and decide if they like it or not. Put it back down and go on to the next one. Parents whispering about five feet away, put it in your basket, put it in your basket. They have gained a little bit of spirit of competition as parents apparently, but it's a wonderful, wonderful time to watch. I mentioned that for just the joy of it, but the... um, The other reason is that I want to mention someone who um, I hope will be on some of your prayer lists. Um, We have a wonderful young lady who has worked in our children's area, uh, Bailey Holmes, who during the last three years of her tenure as a student um, has volunteered Sunday after Sunday after Sunday in the children's department and has, behind the scenes, made a wonderful impact in this place. She went home for spring break and wasn't feeling particularly well. It got a little bit worse. Her parents took her to the emergency room just to have it checked out. She had um, an infection, pneumonia, went into um, sepsis, and admitted to intensive care. And very serious... I just received the report this morning from her mother. Her mother so grateful for our church, for this being a place where her daughter could come, and also for our prayers, because there are a number who have known about this for a few days and have been praying. And she said that there have been some very good turns that have happened, and one of those was that they don't have to put her on life support to breathe, in order for her to go through the treatment that she's currently on, but that's how serious it was that they were prepared to do that for her. There's still quite a bit of recovery that needs to take place. She's not uh, completely out of the woods yet. Her fingerprints are on this place, on our families, on our children. Let's make sure that we are the church that surrounds her in this moment and her family. And again, my guess is, if you saw her, many of you would know her, but many of you probably don't know her by name. Again, Bailey Holmes, 
I encourage you to lift her up in prayer. We are looking um, at the passage that was just read. Thank you, Chip, for reading that. This John chapter 20, at the end of the Gospel of John, there is one more chapter, but the very end of this chapter, we get from John the purpose of his writing. He says very clearly that Jesus said a lot more things, performed many more miracles. They've not all been included in this book, but the ones that are here, they're here that you might believe. It's the purpose of John writing this, that it might strengthen your faith, maybe give you the courage to simply offer a mustard seed of faith in your journey with Christ. So I want to talk about this journey of Christ as we've been talking about for several months in a series that's been centered around discipleship. This is the last Sunday uh, where we are on this series. We shift into a new three-week series next week. But this discussion of discipleship has been my hope, as I've told you so many times during these three months, a desire that we would discover Christ afresh, discover ourselves in the process, and then discover ourselves in Christ and what that might mean to us. So as we dig into this closing piece, I'd like to talk just for a few minutes about what are the consequences of this journey that we're on. What could we expect? Because I think this passage speaks to it, but it's also a passage that for me fits so beautifully with several other passages that we've looked at before, which is the nature of Scripture, how it all ties together. So I'll draw in some of the passages that we've talked in previous times about, and I hope you'll see what it is that's in store for those who embark or continue on this journey of discipleship. John chapter 20 seems like it's broken into, theatrically, two acts with two different scenes in each of these acts. So, the curtain goes up, the beginning of the chapter, and we see the scene that's been set all across the stage of the tomb of Jesus. And we hear the noise of the women who are coming with spices to prepare the body, And the first scene of this act is the discussion that takes place as the women tell the disciples what's happened and then the disciples return and discover this empty tomb and attempt to make sense of what it is that they've discovered. Now you need to understand, I know you understand, but just to be reminded that they don't have the benefit of what we have of the notion of the resurrection. It's tough for us to put ourselves in their place. And that's the basis of our faith. That's the centerpiece of our faith is the resurrection. But for them, that wasn't the case. They had seen Jesus die. They knew He had been put to death. Their notion of resurrection, of what happened to Lazarus, the person through whom that came, was put to death. And they saw him die, so the notion of that possibly happening again just didn't make sense. So when the disciples show up in this scene, there is confusion. Uncertainty. 
Lights fade, a few minutes pass, lights come back on, same scene. But now we have the interaction between Mary of Magdala and Jesus. She's in the tomb, like the other disciples trying to make sense, sees who she thinks is the gardener walk up and asks what they've done with her Lord, referring specifically to his body. And he calls out her name, and she realizes it's Jesus, her teacher, her Lord, Rabboni. Scene two. Curtains drop, the scenery changes, and now we come to the second half of this chapter, and we find that the disciples, we don't know how many, are in a room, and John indicates that this room has doors that are locked. I'm not exactly sure why he wants us to tell us, why he wants to tell us that, except that he does give us an indication that they are afraid, afraid of the Jewish leaders. They've seen what happened to Jesus, and they are concerned that maybe the same thing might happen to them. That seems to be what's implied by John's statement. Jesus enters without opening the doors at all, and they are stunned. Jesus says to them, peace. Peace. Scene two of this second act, a week later. Thomas has been told about what happened, but he wasn't with the disciples at the previous gathering. He's with them this time. Jesus appears again and invites Thomas to touch his wounds and to see for himself. Thomas had questions. I don't think Thomas is like every other person, but I certainly have a great deal of appreciation for Thomas. I have a lot of questions as well. Sometimes people tell me, particularly family members, that I ask too many questions. But it's been part of my journey, my growth, the way by which I discover and learn And it gives voice to some of my doubt and helps me to move through that as I confess it through questions and then interact and dialogue with others. Um, Four days ago, I wrote a little note to my wife. And on it, I acknowledged to her that I ask a lot of questions. And then in the note, I said, but I've discovered that questions can change a person's life. And one of the best questions I ever asked changed my life forever. 41 years ago, that afternoon, I asked, will you marry me? Oh, yeah, I don't know that that's, oh... But it was a really important question. Her response was a bunch of other questions. (laughs) The first one of which was, when? 
we were not among those couples that I think there are many more now in this um, era who spent a lot of time talking about marriage before they moved to that point of asking any type of question. We had had virtually no conversations about that at all. For her, it was just this kind of out of the blue, I pulled out a question and, oh, let me ask this one. So naturally, she had a lot of questions that followed. After about 10 minutes, she looked at me and something about my countenance, she said, what's wrong? And I said, well, about 10 minutes ago, I asked you if you'd marry me, you've not answered yet. (laughs) (laughs) Ask the question again. It was, for me, a life-changing question. So I love questions. One of the questions that I ask about discipleship is, so what does it look like to be a follower of Jesus? I think that there are things that we inherit, or there are consequences of this journey. And I think knowing some of those consequences or the things that we inherit, the title of this message is Holy Inheritance, helps us to understand ourselves on this journey and how this journey is going. I'd like to talk about a few of those things. One of the things that Scripture says is that Jesus in in this room where they had gathered breathed on them the Holy Spirit. It is the same kind of phrasing that's used in Genesis where it says that God took the elements of the earth, formed man and woman, and breathed into them life. Jesus breathes into the disciples the Spirit, which is life. This is like the redemption of creation. This is to come full circle. This is to bring about renewal. As Jesus offers to the disciples the Holy Spirit, life. That, I believe, is first and foremost our inheritance as followers of Christ. The gift of the Holy Spirit. Jesus makes it very clear to the disciples, I'm going to go and ask the Father, and the Father will send you one, a comforter, a paraclete, an advocate, one who will speak on your behalf, one who will lead you into all truth and will remind you of everything that I've taught you. You know this one, it's the Spirit of truth, it's the Holy Spirit, and it's this Spirit that is not only with you, but lives in you. You've heard me refer to the passage over and over again in John 14 where Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. And God will love you and we will come and make our dwelling place with you and in you. The gift of following Christ is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that moves us from this self-centered trajectory bent on our own ways and leading us into directions that eventually separate us from God and others to a following of the Holy Spirit working from within 
in guiding us into all that we were created and intended to be, making a difference in our world. It's a dramatic shift, but it's a shift that's done by God's Spirit. Which leads me to the next piece of inheritance that comes. And I believe part of our inheritance in Christ is joy. We read about it, Old Testament and New Testament. Jesus talks about it when He says, I long that my joy might be in you that your joy might be complete. Paul says to Timothy in Second Tim- Timothy chapter 1, I long to see you and be with you so that my joy might be complete. God pronounces a blessing on the Israelites in several places in Isaiah where He talks about His people wearing a crown of joy. There are certain words that just seem to put a smile on people's faces. I don't know if you noticed, but when Melissa said the word barbecue, the entire praise band, it's like their face just lit up. I don't know if you noticed it, but smiles everywhere. I'm not sure what's happened at a barbecue that conjures up such wonderful memories for the praise band, but I'm thrilled for that. Even applause happens. There were even three children that raised their hands and leaned forward and did this at the word barbecue. So we're having barbecue after church for, if no other reason, to put a little joy in you of what it means to be a faithful follower. I think there are other words that do that. I think banjo does that. I'm not sure why. (laughs) But yeah, that's right. Now, here's my fear, that when I say the word discipleship, it's like faces turn to prunes. It's like, what? Discipleship? There's something about that word that seems to have an opposite reaction for the very reason that I confessed at the, end, at the beginning of this journey, and that is that it seems like discipleship carries with it this connotation of someone else's expectations, rules, things that must be done or not be done. And I'm left with this focus on these things that leave me never quite living up to either others' expectations or my own expectations of myself. How can I not have prune lips at that moment? But that's not what this passage talks about. It says when Jesus walked in and spoke peace into their life, they were overjoyed. The response of Mary was this transition from confusion and sorrow to, my Lord? It is this that takes us from the ruminating on the law to the relationship with Jesus. That's the difference. Discipleship is at its core an invitation into relationship. Jesus' promise of the Holy Spirit is that the Spirit of Christ might dwell with us. 
It is Thomas's response. Oh, my Lord, my God, it's you. So that's the call this morning is to say that the receipt of the Holy Spirit is to dwell in relationship with Jesus. That begins to produce joy. If you've been here very long at all, I refer to it often. One of my very favorite passages of Scripture, Acts chapter 3 and chapter 4, it's that passage where there is a person who's been lame since birth, set at the temple gate near Solomon's colonnade. Peter and John at the time of prayer are on their way to prayer, and they see this gentleman who reaches out hoping for something from them, silver or gold. Peter's famous words, silver or gold have I none, but such as I have I give to thee. In the name of Jesus the Messiah, stand up and walk. Reaches out and suddenly strength comes into his ankles and feet, and he stands up, walks, jumps, starts praising God and goes with them into the temple. The powerful significance of this, the sacrifices that are given at the temple site, they can't be blemished, they can't be crippled, they can't be broken in any way. They have to be sacrifices that were the best, the complete, the whole, lamb, goat, doves. The same was true of people who were viewed as being unclean. They weren't allowed into certain places of this sacred area. This man, watching people for years go past him into that space, finds himself healed and able to walk, no run, no dance, his way in praise into the sacred space because of what they had done through Christ. The authorities took them away because a mob kind of gathered. They recognized the man and they started talking about what took place. The authorities quickly took Peter and John, put them in prison until the next morning in chapter 4. We have the end of the story where they're brought out before the rulers, the teachers of the law, and they're take into account for what happened. And Peter speaks up and he says, if you're holding us accountable for what happened, let me just tell you about this act of kindness that was done to this man. It was simply done by Jesus, the Messiah, the one whom you put to death. Well, if that wasn't an affront to them, they began to discuss among themselves. And in verse 13, it says that they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Now this is weeks after the resurrection. Time has passed. It could have been that somebody just said, you know, these are disciples. But I just feel like they noticed something about Peter and John that caught them. And they note, these two, they've been with Jesus. Oh, how I would love 
if somebody would see me or my actions or my responses in relationship or in the midst of conflict or something that I've done or how I've been and that somehow it would make them think, I wonder, it seems like he's been with Jesus. Ah, that'd be wonderful. We've been in this series for quite some time. I want to say how easy it is to move on to the very next piece of teaching or the next book that needs to be read or the next speaker to find something that's inspiring and fail to put into practice what we've already learned. If we walked in the light we already had, what would our church look like? I think in some ways that would begin to change us as we very intentionally put into practice the things that have been brought to our attention. Not just from up here, but the things that you've read, the conversations, the small groups, the workshops, the interactions. There needs to be a season where we put into practice those things that we've learned. I have to confess, coming out of this wonderful season of Lent that came so much right on the heels of a wonderful season of Advent, with a whirlwind of activities and services and things that have been done, and I know not all of you were part of all of those things, and you shouldn't be, but for those of us that give attention to the life of the church, I have to confess that this week we enter into what's called in the Christian calendar ordinary time, and it is so nice just to have a little bit of ordinary time. It seems to me that in the ordinary time, that's the opportunity to say, how do I live this out? How might this become a practice in my life? Not with the angst and self-imposed guilt of never having done enough, but instead, born out of this third piece, that is God's gift to us in following God. And that is peace. Jesus speaks peace in the midst of their fear. Jesus says, my peace I give to you. This isn't something He gives as the world gives, John tells us. God's peace, a lasting peace, a peace out of which our lives begin to flow, not out of anxiety or fear or guilt or a set of rules of do's and don'ts, but out of peace. Now, I'm not saying that following Christ, all of a sudden life is easy. Sometimes it gets harder. I'm not saying that all problems get solved. In fact, there are actually probably some new problems you had not yet discovered that happen as a result of making a commitment to follow Christ. 
trying to resolve all of the circumstances that uh, have posed themselves in your life's journey. They don't all immediately change, but what does change is that we move into those places out of a place of peace. The whole movement of Scripture carries this theme of a movement from slavery to freedom. Of a movement from being crippled to being able to walk and run and dance. From a place of blindness to a place of sight. From a place of crucifixion to a place of resurrection. This is the tone of all Scripture. That movement is a gift to us. So this call to discipleship is a call to relationship with the One who sets us at peace. How about that for you this morning? I confess that this is true of me. My guess is that it's true for most all of us here that we find ourselves as those who are crippled outside the gate. We find ourselves looking for something that might provide a little relief, a temporary repose. Some of those circumstances imposed by our own selves Wondering if everybody else as they walk by have something very different than we have. Jesus invites us into the inheritance of the Holy Spirit breathed into our lives. Offers us peace. And I really believe that sometimes some of the circumstances from an outsider looking in, don't seem like they've changed at all, but my vision has completely changed. My posture is new and different. The way in which I see Christ within me has given me a completely completely different outlook on what tomorrow holds. It is my inheritance. It is your inheritance. It is... For each one of us, God's gift. Relationship with Jesus. It ought to be head and shoulders above barbecue or banjo or anything else that puts the smile on your face. It is relationship with the one who loves you. So, the consequences of this journey are yours. If for some reason it doesn't feel like that's where you are, then ask the one who's in charge of this. God, I long for your peace. I could use a dose of joy. Will you please, Lord, Bless me with your Holy Spirit.
that I might truly be a follower of You. Lord God, this morning, we sit or lie outside the gate Some of us stuck in this place, some by our own doing, others at least in part by the actions of others in places that have left us just a little shy of dancing in the sacred holy spaces. We've lived myopically looking at the do's and don'ts instead of inviting You to live within, to teach us and mold our desires, that Your Spirit would raise up within us the passions that help to honor You and make us our best. Our selfishness so often leads us places of our own design, dependent upon our own discipline and our own efforts and pruned faces that seem to have lost the joy of life. But God, you've invited us to the table, a barbecue that includes bread and juice, music that enlivens our heart. Lord, may the strength begin to enter our ankles and our feet. Thank You for the invitation to the holy space where we might dance with You, be held by You, and follow You. Help us to be a church committed to following You in all ways, Lord. For those this morning, Lord, who are here and this is the first time they've considered You as the Lord of their life, may Your Spirit, through Your grace, empower just a simple yes with all that is unknown, all that is uncertain, just to say yes. I invite You, Lord, into my life. I invite You, Spirit, to take up dwelling in my heart. And I will simply be obedient to You at work within me. Thank You for welcoming us to the table, Lord. Into relationship, may it be the hallmark of our lives in you. We praise you, Lord. Amen.